Welcome, everyone. This is Treks to Nowhere. In many of the previous episodes in this series, I've spoken at length about the idea of geographic superlatives. I've talked about how so many of my adventures are seemingly tied to some form of these superlatives and why I find myself so often seeking them out. While there is something obviously profound when it comes to trekking out to and ultimately reaching these fascinating places, what can be even more uniquely satisfying is to design and attempt an adventure around the concept of combining geographic superlatives. What I mean by this is that perhaps there exists a place that is, say, both an altitudinal superlative as well as a cardinal superlative. The high point of the state of Connecticut, for example, falls on the south flank of Mount Frizzle and sits only a few hundred feet from the northernmost point of the state as well. Similarly, the highest point of Florida, Britain Hill, is also within sight of the northernmost point and border with Alabama. In addition, the highest points of both Kansas and Nebraska also sit very close to their respective extreme western points. And yet another example would be the high point of the state of Maryland, as it sits right on its border with West Virginia, almost exactly at its westernmost point as well, although not quite. There are many cases like this, and of course even more if you consider low points. When you factor in subjective or qualitative superlatives like remoteness or total isolation, you can certainly come up with many other excellent examples. As far as dual cardinal and altitudinal superlatives within countries, there are a few noteworthy examples of places where it's really close. The highest point of the Netherlands, for example, is just a half mile further north than the country's southernmost point. Similarly, the highest points of both Mongolia and Turkmenistan fall nearly at their westernmost and easternmost points, respectively. With that said, I spent considerable time scouring countless lists of global and national extreme points and was unable to find a specific country where that country's high point also falls exactly on an extreme cardinal point, with one possible and even more ridiculous exception. The small country of Brunei, located on the island of Borneo, is one that is already made quite special and unique, geographically speaking, as it is split into two halves, exclaves of each other, separated in between by the country of Malaysia. The high point of the entire country of Brunei, known as Pagon Hill, falls within the eastern exclave known as the Temburong District, at its absolute farthest and southernmost point. If you take this Temburong exclave as its own entity, like you might say a U.S. state, then this is the only example I could find of a high point falling exactly on an extreme geographical point as well. However, this southernmost point is not technically the southernmost point of the entire country of Brunei, as that point falls within the other western exclave within its Belait district. 
as I noted, this is somewhat analogous to a U.S. state high point falling on one of its extreme points as well, so it does still represent a very rare and fascinating geographical occurrence. I did not go as far as to check country low points, as I feel that it gets somewhat muddled by the ocean borders and considerations of sea level. Now, one of my favorite state high points located within the U.S. is that of Black Mesa, Oklahoma. At this location, there is a high point monument erected just a few hundred meters from the western border of Oklahoma with New Mexico along what is also known as the Cimarron Meridian at exactly 103 degrees west. On top of this mesa, the surface of the ground is so level that one could make an argument that the high point essentially falls on that western border. Even when examining sophisticated topographical portals like Caltopo or Gaia GPS, elevations at the border show as only a few feet lower than the actual high point. I remember hiking this high point several years ago and seeing the border fence within a stone's throw from the high point marker. There was no discernible elevation difference between the locations, although I'm sure a high-precision GPS would certainly reveal that one exists. All of these thoughts of combined superlatives does bring some rather vivid memories to the surface. In the summer of 2012, I had been selected to run a prestigious ultramarathon in Southern California known as the Badwater 135. This race is housed in a rather unique echelon of ultramarathons, as it's made particularly noteworthy by two unique factors. First, all runners must traverse over 135 miles on foot through the hottest part of the United States in Death Valley in mid-July. Typical midday temperatures during the event range from between 120 and 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Second, and more apropos to this episode, is that runners begin their journey at Badwater Basin, the lowest point within the United States, and end at the portal to Mount Whitney, the highest point in the contiguous United States. Many runners that are accepted into this race will also put their names into a lottery for a Whitney Summit permit, so that when they finish the run after 135 miles, they can then also strap on a backpack and continue and hike up to the very top of Mount Whitney, thereby connecting the highest and lowest points of the lower 48. As for me, I did acquire such a permit so that I might do this exact thing, but sadly it never came to pass. I did in fact participate in the Badwater 135 run, and I even completed it successfully, but after what was one of the worst two days I've ever experienced in a running event, I simply did not have the stamina nor the motivation to continue on once reaching that finish line. I remembered being quite disappointed in myself after the run for not making the attempt up to the summit, but considering my horrific shape at the finish and the fact that it was in the middle of the night, I have no doubt in hindsight that I made the right call. Still, this idea of tethering high points and low points through some type of connected adventure stuck with me. It gnawed at me. 
until a short five years later when I set out to attempt a variation on this theme, but in a much different part of the country. Among my various big-ticket bucket list adventures, I have managed to sprinkle in quite a few of what I like to call mini-projects. These are the sort of goofy treks, hikes, or excursions that don't really take an abundance of planning or time off of work, but do still get me sufficiently excited and geeked out. There's almost always some kind of geographical oddity tied to these mini-endeavors, and most can typically be completed in a day or, at most, a weekend. Examples might include my trek to Province Point in 2014, or my long weekend adventure to Nunavut in 2016. For this particular trek that I'm about to highlight, there is some relevant backstory. One of the first things I did after relocating to Vermont in 2015 was to summit the high point atop Mount Mansfield. For the past 15 years, I've been on a long and rather circuitous journey to collect all of the state high points. As of this episode, I have just nine remaining to complete the full lot of 50. Mount Mansfield had been on my to-do list for quite some time, and with a trip back up to the idyllic town of Stowe already on my schedule, it seemed an obvious no-brainer to also make a planned trip up to the summit of Mount Mansfield. After what was ultimately a successful day up and down the mountain, and a requisite selfie on the summit, a rather unique and curious realization popped into my head. What I had discovered about Vermont is that it is possible to connect its highest point atop Mount Mansfield to its lowest point along the shores of Lake Champlain with just a 26-mile combination of reasonably moderate roads and trails. With this realization, a seed was planted for what would grow into a new practical adventure that I would dub Vermont High to Low. Once I reflected upon this discovery, I began to imagine just what kind of fun could ensue should I attempt such a hypothetical traverse on foot in one continuous marathon push. I estimated crudely that it could be done in approximately six hours through a combination of moderately paced running and hiking. While there are other states that have closer high and low points, like, say, Delaware, Vermont truly seemed like the ideal example. It would require a respectable overall distance on varied terrain to properly tackle 26 miles and would feature a reasonable amount of overall elevation gain given the 4,400-foot summit of Mount Mansfield. In addition, the climb and subsequent descent off of the high point would feature some genuinely gnarly and technical terrain as much of the early route would be along Vermont's notoriously difficult long trail. Lastly, the completion of this endeavor would end in the quirky and delightfully trendy town of Burlington. Add to all of this an opportunity to run through some of the most bucolic hills of rural Vermont along the way, and it's apparent that this journey would be like no other. I suppose a multi-day, several-hundred-mile trek across Colorado from its high point atop the 14,439-foot Mount Elbert to the low point at the Kansas border, would also result in a magnificent experience. However, this planned mini-project across northern Vermont 
seemed to be much more appealing as it could be done on a relative whim with minimal planning and could be completed in ostensibly just a few hours. Following the completion of some important lab work near the end of the summer and before heading back to my typical full-time routine, I found myself with a few days to kill in late July. I debated a few ideas for possible treks during this time, but eventually settled on finally tackling this long-lingering Vermont mini-project idea. One of the reasons it had taken me so long to seriously consider this adventure was that it does involve some complicated start and finish logistics. On paper, it would seem to be relatively easy to plan, but because this endeavor features a point-to-point, 26-mile route, doing the run alone requires either staging a bike at the finish or arranging for a ride in Burlington to shuttle me back to my car at Mansfield. For this attempt, I was able to successfully secure adequate transport, so all remaining obstacles to an honest attempt had been dealt with. It was time to realize the adventure. One important thing to note regarding this mini-adventure, it's obviously impossible to start immediately on top of Mount Mansfield, so I opted to hike to the summit via the long trail from the Smuggler's Notch approach. This is one of the longest sustained climbs on the entire long trail, featuring over 3,000 feet of continuous and steep elevation gain. Technically, it's possible to get an assist up to the summit via a gondola ride, but that just didn't seem in the spirit of this adventure. So this meant that including the two miles of approach up the long trail to the start line atop Mount Mansfield, the entire adventure would actually be closer to 28 total miles. I started my journey around 9 a.m., and the initial approach hike up the two miles along the long trail were definitely quite feisty. As I made very clear in episodes 7 through 9, the long trail is known for being notoriously difficult, especially in the northern section, and its reputation is well warranted. The trail tread is steep and technical with regular unstable rocks and roots. There are even a few places requiring more difficult Class 3 boulder scrambling on all fours. Thankfully, none of these moves were outside of my comfort zone, but all still presented notable challenges and expenditures of energy. In truth, it was somewhat satisfying to feel like I was effectively earning my start line on the top of Mount Mansfield. With thick clouds brewing overhead, I was a bit worried about potential hard rains, and the forecast was calling for a 60% chance, though my morning hike up to the summit did remain mostly dry. Above 3,500 feet, I did find myself deep inside a thick fog band that chilled me to my core. Needless to say, I was eager to keep moving. At the top of the climb, I was greeted by the Mount Mansfield Summit Steward, who was quick to tell me that it had been an uncharacteristically quiet morning. I was only the fourth person he'd seen so far that day, and it was already past 10 a.m. It took me exactly one hour to hike the approach up to the summit and formally begin my planned Vermont high-to-low trek. I started my descent from the summit after a brief rest and rehydration break and after a lengthy chat with the steward. 
My planned route would take me down the Sunset Ridge Trail to the several-mile-long Western Approach dirt road aptly named Mountain Road. From there, the route would take a relatively direct line towards Burlington, following several rural state routes and roads, passing through small towns such as Underhill, Jericho, Essex, and Winooski. The initial descent off of the summit was slow and technical, but by the time I reached the lower trailhead and began down the dirt mountain road, I was able to move at a more substantial running pace. I made quick work of those four to five miles and was soon out on the first of many rural paved and mostly shoulderless roads. Thankfully, traffic was very light and I was able to plod along without any real safety concerns or shoulder brushing incidents. This type of running actually holds many similarities to the Vol State Road Race, which I've run a few times. This race is a 500 kilometer or 314 mile foot race across the entire state of Tennessee. My morning was accompanied by long, straight country roads, high humidity, and pounding pavement. In truth, though, I savored every second of it. The small towns were conveniently spaced, giving me tangible milestones every five to six miles. I passed quintessential Vermont markers, covered bridges, old mills, quaint rustic houses, and even a llama farm. It did eventually rain on me a little, but never more than a mild mist or sprinkle. I actually prefer cloud cover and rain to a typical sunny and exposed summer day. When I finally came up on the town of Essex, the sun did start peeking its way out from behind the clouds, making the miles a bit more uncomfortable. After about 20 miles of running, my phone had indicated that I only had about six miles remaining until the low point at Lake Champlain. I slowed my pace and even walked a bit as I worked my way through Essex and onto Winooski before finally arriving at the outskirts of Burlington. As I neared my final destination, it occurred to me just how satisfying my silly yet tangible finish would be a literal dip in the waters of Lake Champlain. I arrived at the University of Vermont campus about two miles short of the lake and navigated my way through some quiet walkways and past a couple of prominent, ornate, and ivy-draped fountains. I eventually navigated my way out to College Street and had one last mile-long stretch down to the water. I picked up my pace through the very bustling downtown area and toward the now-visible boat dock. Upon finally reaching the lake shore, I sat down on a flat rock by the water's edge finished off the last of my gas station energy drink, and gleefully dipped my finger into Lake Champlain. In total, the run took me just a smidge over six hours, including my approach hike up to the Mount Mansfield summit. My GPS watch had clocked just under 29 miles of Vermont splendor. In truth, this mini-adventure really just gave me a small slice of time to let my mind wander a bit something I hadn't completely realized that I was in need of. There really is something so simple, yet therapeutic, about just making miles along country roads. This little journey run really was everything I was hoping it would be, and will always be one I look back upon fondly. After the run, I stopped at the Ben & Jerry's factory outside of Stowe, Vermont, and had a glorious helping of well-earned cookie dough ice cream.
Thank you, everyone, for following along as we re-explored the idea of combining various geographic superlatives, and we revisited my mini-adventure going from Vermont's high point on Mount Mansfield to Vermont's low point at Lake Champlain. In the next episode, we'll explore a very rare and unique celestial event that took place in the summer of 2017. This event also happened to have a fundamentally profound impact on me and made me sincerely question my place in the cosmos. Take care, everyone, and be safe.